Blog Talk Radio. Carol the Coach. Sex, love, and relationships. We talk about it here. Carol the Coach. Compassion with contemporary relevance. I am a psychotherapist. I can be your personal life coach and I can help you with your issues. There are no problems too small or too big. You can talk about anything. Speaker, columnist, radio TV host, and commentator. Carol the Coach brings messages of wellness and empowerment within reach of everyday people every day. Almost five years ago, I lost my soulmate in an accident. He was killed in a plane crash. Life just for me has seemed to stop. There are groups all over the city. I mean, I teach one. It is a specific way to start thinking so that you shift how you see the world, which then shifts your energy, and then you feel better and you actually see things differently. Carol the Coach, always available to at carolthecoach.com. Now I've got Russell on the line. I'm 47 years old. I'm a truck driver. I'm married. I have a wife in San Francisco. Okay. I haven't been home in six months. My thing is, I I don't know if I have a sex addiction or what the problem is. Why do I want what I can't have? And as soon as I can have it, I don't want it anymore. You're right on target when you say, I don't know if I have a sexual addiction. Well, guess what? Yes, you do. And you know what? That's my specialty, Russell. So you're at the right place. Continue. I meet women online and and I'm in a different part of the country. I I travel all 48 states, so I love sex. I hear self-esteem issues. You never felt good enough and you didn't feel like you were getting what you should have then. And you're really reenacting that now. Do you want to change that about yourself? Oh, yeah. Well, welcome. Welcome, welcome, welcome. I am on a high. (laughs) I'm having a major dopamine hit. Well, I'll tell you why. I think you know, I kind of shared with you last week. On Wednesday, my book that I wrote, Help Her Heal, went public. It's on Amazon right this minute, and it's an empathy workbook for sex addicts to help their partners heal. And, you know, it's really interesting today because I was talking with a man who said that he was being evaluated by a psychologist, and the psychologist said to him, you know what you need. You need to help your daughter to find out who she is. And the number one way you can do that is by sharing your empathy with her. And he said, how could that be possible? And, he said, and the psychologist said, you know, when you can acknowledge who she is, what she thinks, and how she believes, whether you agree with it or not, you are affirming her, and you're giving her sense sense of confidence. And so developing empathy is not just for the partner. It's for your family. It's for your daughter. It's for your son. It's for anybody who wants a connection with you. And empathy is the antidote to sex addiction because it provides connection. And so many of you have heard me talk about it. I talk about this formula called AVR. Acknowledge the issue, validate the feeling, and reassure the person that you're working on things and that you are the new and improved. Now, you won't want to get that cocky. So let's just say that, let me see here. Let's say that you got uh, a wife who saw an unknown text come up on your phone. And she says, let me see that phone. Whose number is this? And you look at the number and you don't know. And the message just says, call me. Now, most addicts will think, oh, boy, that's probably somebody from my past, but I don't know who it is. And I thought I blocked all conceivable numbers. And so the first thing you do is you want to acknowledge the issue and you want to say to your wife, you know what? 
this is incredibly scary for both of us, but I can imagine that you're really frightened because it looks like I'm in good recovery, and then all of a sudden something pops up to say to you, maybe he isn't, and I get that. And like I said, maybe you're feeling really scared, worried, or anxious that I am not the man that you want me to be. But I want to reassure you that I am living my life in integrity now. And even if it is hard to believe, I will do whatever it takes to prove to you that I don't know whose number this is. You know, if you want to give me a polygraph, give me a polygraph. If you want us to call the number together, we can do that. If you want to call the number from an unknown number off of your phone, let's do it together. Let's get down to the bottom of this. Well, when you do that, you're working on empathy. And even if she looks at you and says, you're full of crap, just look at her and say, I don't blame you for not trusting me. And you do it again. You've been through a lot. And I can imagine that it's really scary to believe that I'm telling you the truth. And so you must be afraid. And I know you're mad. But I want to reassure you, Remember, it's A for acknowledge the issue, V for validate, and R for reassure. I want to reassure you, we will get down to the bottom of this together. And I want to do this with you because I want to help you heal. Now, that is the name of the book, Help, period, Her, period, Heal. And as I indicated, it's an empathy workbook for sex addicts to help their partners heal. And I've already been getting... Oh, just hundreds of emails. It's an easy read. I mean, you can read it in a couple of days. It is as if, it's as if I am talking to you, the addict. And I'm not going to lie, I have a lot of partners that are buying the book, and they are giving it to their spouses. And I think I mentioned yesterday My only regret is that I don't have one for gay couples, and I don't have one for um, people that aren't married, and, you know, I don't have one for male partners and female sex addicts. I'm talking to my publisher about changing all the wordage around because it's the exact same thing. And my very first review from a client was from a client that I absolutely adore. I adore both of them, actually. They're they're working hard. They're doing great work. And I think he said something like, this is brilliant. And I said, Sue, you're okay with it? Because they're a gay couple. And he said, absolutely. I get this. So I'm going to encourage you to buy the book. If you're a sex addict, please, it'll help you to understand her. And if you're a partner, take a look at the book so that you can see if you believe it would help your spouse. I know it would. Because it doesn't just go into ABR, the formula for empathy. It goes into what reflective listening is and how do you do that without defensiveness. And, you know, my experience is that partners are so traumatized that they end up being angry, Rejecting, accusatory, and all those words describe their reactions to being afraid they're going to be hurt again. So they look ugly. They look like they are ready to lynch. They look like they want to kill you. But really, they're just protecting their head, their heart, and their gut because they've been duped and they don't want to be duped again. But look, for today, they're staying with you. And so when he or she says, you're a lying sack of you-know-what and, uh, you know, you can just rot in hell, I want you to pretend that you have your Teflon on and you let it roll off of you. And what do you do? You use ABR. You reassure her. I understand why you feel like you'll never be able to trust me. And validate her feelings. I can see why you're so angry. 
I don't blame you. I understand your anger. I can't imagine what it's like being married to me after I betrayed you. And then you reassure her. But I want you to know that's why I'm going to 12-step groups. That's why I'm seeing my CSAT. That's why we've got you with a partner specialist that knows your trauma. And we are going to get through this together. We're going to make it. And you can say anything you want to me because I am going to be the container for any feeling you have because I want us to work out. And this is only temporary. And we're going to get better together. Now, the truth of the matter is, if in some way you're in an abusive relationship, you don't want to deal with that. Nobody should be abused. Partners shouldn't be abused. Sex addicts shouldn't be abused. So if she's getting physical, that means she's in the fight mode of her fight, flight, or freeze, and help set boundaries, leave the house, go somewhere you can be safe, and let her calm down. And then, you know, maybe those boundaries look like I'm not going to come back into the house if you're going to threaten me with a baseball bat. Or I am not going to allow you to punch me in the middle of the night. I get that you're mad. I get that you wake up and you hate me. But I'm not going to let you hurt me, and I promise I'm not going to hurt you anymore. Okay, you can hear the sincerity. The other really cool thing about this book is that it has a trigger buster chapter. And triggers are the hardest thing to manage. People aren't sure how to do that. And so it gives you a formula, and it's a pretty easy one, and it came from my colleagues, Janice Cadell and um, Dorit Reichenthal. And they do a super job of going through what they call relational CPR with trigger busting, and they let me use their stuff. You know, this is one of the greatest things about my work is that I work with some of the finest professionals in the business. Um, And so now I'm going to pitch Janice Caudill again, Dr. Janice Caudill, and uh, partner specialist Dan Drake because they've just written a book on disclosures for the addict and for the partner and how – how to assess them properly, make sure your therapist knows how to do it. And man, it is powerful. So I highly recommend you go to Amazon and get that book too. And I guess there's a couple different um, there's a couple different series. So if you see one for the partner and one for the addict, you know, get them both. I know you're not made of money, but when good information comes out that's helpful to the addict and it's partner-sensitive, you better gobble it up because right now there is not enough partner-sensitive information in this world. And you know what? You know that my mission is to teach addicts how to be partner-sensitive. You know, they want to recoil and hide in their shell and, and just disappear because they hate what they've done. And that's the last thing you want to do. You want to show up and be there for your family, no matter what they say, think, or feel. And you know I got your back. You know, my, I had a client who was an addict, and he read the book, and he goes, Oh, Carol, you are harsh. You're hurting me. You were hurting me last night. And I go, what do you mean? And he goes, oh, you just kept telling it like it is, and it was painful. Well, in no way. Have I ever written anything where I meant to hurt anybody? So if it's kind of harsh or firm, it was just to stress how important it is to get this stuff right and to to do it with love, authenticity, and transparency. Two of my favorite words, I love love, but I love when addicts are authentic and transparent, and you know I do. Now, who do we have on tonight? Well... He's amazing, and he's been on the show before. Um, His name is David Essel, and tonight he wanted to talk to you about the symptoms and manifestations of sexual abuse, sexual assault, sexual addiction, and more. 
and he's really made his made it his mission and his purpose to help people understand the challenges of overcoming sexual abuse. And so, what I believe to be true is that it is so imp- important to really, um, if you've had any sexual abuse in your lifetime, or let's say you've been raped um, in college or in early adulthood, you know, it's important to understand what you've been through and to try to work through it in a way that honors the pain, the sadness, and the guilt. You get that, don't you? Absolutely. And I'm just always so happy when a specialist comes on the show and they can um, make it their own. And David's got a phenomenal sense of humor. He's bright. He's passionate. And he's a coach. So I always enjoy when we can have him on the show. He does a great job of making something that's pretty complex, uh, understandable, and informational. So I'm going to introduce David Essel. Welcome to the show. How are you? Hey, Carol. Great to be back with you. Well, it is great to have you, and this is such an important topic. And, you know, you've got a variety of of symptoms of post-traumatic stress and of abuse. And and I want to talk about that. But before I do, David, I mean, you have just done so many different things. Um, Tell us a little bit about how you uh, decided to work with sexual abuse, sexual assault, sexual rape, um, and all those really tough situations that that interfere with sexual integrity. Yeah. Wow, Carol, you know, there's so many things that I'm doing in my life now and I've been doing for, well, the past 30 years as a counselor and coach and 40 years in the personal growth industry that I had never planned on doing. I, I had never thought that I would be working everything from, you know, helping people expand their business to overcoming sexual abuse or rape or incest, and yet here we are today, and for the last 30 years, in the world of sexual abuse, it has really caught me by surprise. And I'll tell you, the, the biggest surprise to me is how many people are sexually assaulted verbally, physically, emotionally, as children, and how that affects them later on in life. It, it, it's been an absolute shock, and how I actually got into this was 1991. I had a client that was really struggling with alcohol and had struggled for a very long time with alcohol. And when we started doing the work, of course, we just started to do the basic uh, recovery work. And, and part of the recovery work is going into emotional triggers for drinking. And as we were going through all of this work together, all of a sudden it became apparent to me that she had some real negative connotations and belief systems about men in general, not just the men she had dated, but all men, which led us to go deeper in our work emotionally. And all of a sudden we were there to uncover the fact that she had been molested as a child by a family member. Uh, That was that 1991. That was the first introduction to me of how devastating. And when she was sexually molested, it wasn't physically, but it was, the way an uncle looked at her, the way an uncle grabbed her hand at family events, uh, the words that he said, how he would try to corner her. Now, he never penetrated, never physically touched her, but that had such a lasting effect on her that it turned into a lifelong of addiction and it turned into a lifelong of nothing but chaos and drama with men. So in 1991, I'm presented with this situation where For the first time, she had admitted to anyone that this had happened when she was a little girl, and now the healing was to begin. The great news is is that as we uncovered that part of her past and helped her to heal from the sexual molestation, her addictions disappeared. So that was my introduction to this world of sexual abuse, incest, and then, of course, it goes on to rape and so many more 
sexual abuse uh, conditions, and it shocked me that I would be doing this work for that long. But I'll tell you, just like you know this, Carol, with your background and what you do today, is that it is so incredibly rewarding when we can help someone free themselves from their past. Absolutely. And, and you know, because you and I have talked, I ran a sexual abuse program for six years in a little county in Indiana, and I saw all the perpetrators, all the survivors, and their loved ones. And we tried to work on reconciliation and keeping them safe. That was the goal. But if, they're, if they weren't in a safe situation, safety came first. And, you know, David, what I know about kids is if they get early intervention and learn how to say no and, and have support people that understand them, they are resilient, can get through it, and even become stronger. But in 91, I mean, we, weren't, we didn't even start talking about sexual abuse till 84 and 85. So in 91, there was not very much information on that. And, wow, that meant your client was really on her own until she talked with you. And that, that was so significant. And the fact that she got better um, – speaks to, to the work that you did with her. And, and her vulnerability, right, right, Carol? Like, like her willingness, when we got to the sticking point, her willingness to be vulnerable and honest and to want to work through the pain. You know, a lot of people will reach a certain part of recovery uh, from sexual abuse or assault or addiction. So reach a certain point. And then they won't want to follow through because they have to go through too many difficult memories, too many difficult emotional thought processes, belief systems that have to be shattered, and they'll stop. She was one of those people that, and we've been blessed with so many of these type of clients, that once we found what the real hold on her was that came from her childhood, that she was willing to dive into it. And, and you know, and Carol, too, going back to 1991, if you remember back then, you know, the, the, the only thing that we talked about was stranger danger. Um, that mm-hmm. was it. And the, mm-hmm. weird, and the weird thing, you know, now that we look back at that, the weird thing is that 90% of sexual assault or abuse, incest, et cetera, it's all with family members or, or, or yeah. someone that they know really well, right? Absolutely. And that's why I'm so excited that you're going to be talking about symptoms because Let me tell you what I know in terms of sexual addicts and in terms of partners that love sex addicts, um, a lot of them have had their own trauma in childhood too. And and just like you said, they haven't talked about it with anybody. And so when sexual addiction occurs, a partner is re-traumatized and goes through all those post-traumatic stress-like symptoms again. And then the addict most oftentimes loves his wife or loves her husband and watches that person go through that trauma and stress and they get re-traumatized. So can you talk a little bit about the symptoms that you see that are most current, most um, prevalent, and and let's let people, our listeners, uh, figure out if they may be suffering from some of these because I know you've got some you got some good resources at the end of the show. So you yeah. actually were able to identify through the acronym RAIN, which stands for Rape, Abuse, and Incest National Network, that there are symptoms like, number one, insomnia and trouble with sleeping. That is the number one symptom for somebody who's had sexual abuse or assault in their life. Yeah, unless they're using substances to sleep, the number one sign. Mm-hmm. Now, you know, you can drink yourself to sleep. You can, you know, uh, uh, smoke pot enough pot to fall asleep. But the number one sign of a person who's not in the world of active addiction is going to be high anxiety, which is going to interrupt sleep cycles. So we have people that have gone through this that, and, and you know, Carol, some of these, this too, that makes it so difficult, just like my very first client. Until we started to do the work, she didn't know why she drank so much. She, she, had not, she couldn't remember anything in her life that would have triggered that kind of alcohol consumption. 
And so her anxiety was so high every day that she used alcohol in order to sleep. But so many other clients I've worked with since 91 to today who have experienced sexual assault or incest or rape and have not processed through it will always talk about their incredible difficulty with sleeping. Uh, Just a couple years ago, I worked with another rape victim, uh, and she hadn't slept in eight years, Carol. She she had not processed and had not worked through this horrendous experience. And so when she tried to sleep at night, of course, and anyone that has anxiety based on any type of sexual issues whatsoever knows that the anxiety comes most alive at night. Now, I, I want to clarify something here. It becomes most aware in our mind at night, but it's running the show 24-7. So, but when they try to sleep and they shut their eyes and there's no distraction of music or television or work or kids or whatever else they're involved with, that's when that anxiety starts to really get their attention. And then hence we have a population addicted to Ambien and sleep drugs and alcohol. And the bottom line underneath it all is anxiety created by events that they have not processed through and healed from. It's a huge, huge issue, the sleep issue. Well, you're right, and sleep is the number one contributor, or I should say insomnia or disturbed intermittent sleep problems, is the number one contributor to more anxiety and more depression. So I guess what we're saying here is if you're not getting good sleep and you have a past that you're either running from or you want to deny, it's really important to get to a specialist who can work with abuse and assault, correct? Absolutely, Carol. It's probably, it's one of those signs that like all of our listeners right now with us right now, you know, without a doubt, if sleep is an issue or not, it's, it's real easy for you to know as the individual listening. And then you want to go a little deeper and say, well, what is it? What is it that's creating this anxiety? And in the case of sexual assault, rape, incest, et cetera, that's going to be a huge driving force. Once you can get to the core and you see the the correlation between your anxiety from unfinished business from your past, you can then begin the process of working through it and actually be able to use much less of whatever substance you're on to sleep and eventually become substance-free. Yeah, that is absolutely amazing. So now what's the second most common symptom or manifestation of abuse and, and assault? Well, you know, when, when, when I think of it in the terms of, of numbers, I, I always think of low self-confidence and low self-esteem. Um, individuals that have been assaulted in any sexual form whatsoever, more often than not, they do not have a strong connection with self until they go through the healing. So, Now, this whole thing with low self-confidence, low self-esteem is going to bleed into every other point that we could talk about because individuals with low self-confidence and low self-esteem are going to choose partners that are incorrect for them. They're going to be involved in the world of addiction. They could stay in the world of sexual addiction because of the fact that they do not feel worthy from their past experiences. They do not feel worthy of being with people who will respect them, love them, and treat them with respect. There's so many of the symptoms that are coming out of the sexual abuse victim or with the sexual abuse victim that will cross over each other. So we have some people that are both struggling with substances to sleep and they're struggling with sleep. We have people that are struggling with low self-esteem and low self-confidence that will continue to pick people that will reinforce that concept that they don't have the confidence and the self-esteem that they should. It's a vicious cycle. The, the great news that we can say about all this is that everything is solvable. Everything is healable if we're willing to do that deep work. Oh, I get that. And, you know, I saw some um, statistics that said that isolation and agoraphobia are, are two primary symptoms for people who really their anxiety has, has gotten the best of them and they don't feel it's safe to go out. Can you share a little bit about that? Yeah, you know, going back to like agoraphobia, and for those who may be unfamiliar with that term, it 
basically an, uh, a fear of being outside of their comfort zone of their home. So individuals with agoraphobia will come up with thousands of valid reasons as well as reasons that aren't valid as to why they can't be engaged in society, of why they must stay isolated. The, um, the, the case of one of my rape victims uh, who was agoraphobic for seven years. Now, this is an interesting case, Carol, because she had actually worked with seven different counselors before uh, she came into my office. And, and in those seven years of working with seven different counselors that she was so agoraphobic and was on so much medication that she literally couldn't leave the house. Her, she was in the, the, the biggest brain fog antidepressants, anti-anxiety meds, uh, sleep meds, and she had become so addicted to them all that she had created this in her mind that this was the rest of her life, you know, not leaving the house. She would take a taxi to get groceries every couple weeks but was incredibly malnourished. So when we talk about agoraphobia and people go, oh, it's a fear of leaving your house, just go out and enjoy the sun. That's not the type of work that's going to be done or it's going to have any kind of effect with someone that's gone through any of the sexual assault uh, ideas or thoughts or, or principles that we're discussing tonight. And if you can imagine, for those who have never experienced or never worked in this world of agoraphobia, if you can imagine what it must be like to go to open your front door and close it and then go back and open it again with your attempt to go out into the world and then close it and eventually just keep it closed. It is a suffocating experience. To have agoraphobia, it's a, that's the, probably the best word I can use. It suffocates us. It makes us feel lifeless. Well, I get that. And, you know, when you combine the internal feelings and emotions that cannot be processed because people don't know how to go about doing that. And as you mentioned it earlier, they may start the work and it's so painful that they don't want to proceed. They think, I'll just go ahead and stuff it back in the box and they compartmentalize and that, well, you know, whatever you resist persists. Um, but the other issue is sometimes they either have come from very dysfunctional families, like you indicated yeah. earlier, a lot of times the abuse occurred as a child in the family or sometimes they marry dysfunctional people that don't know how to support them, don't know how to validate feelings, that kind of thing. So what do you think? Um, dysfunctional relationships, what's your experience um, with that as maybe a symptom? Well, you know, when we think about sexual abuse and we think about a lack of trust in men and or women, here's the weird thing. And, and if our listeners can follow this pattern, um, we will choose people who remind us of our childhood. And let's say we're talking about childhood incest or rape or molestation. We, that's what we know. The only thing we know is that people who take advantage of us, all we can remember is people who treat us unkindly. So now we go into this experience that we don't want to talk about it or it may have been submerged so long we don't even remember the events. All we know is we have outrageously low self-confidence, extremely low self-esteem. So we're going to look for someone that's going to match that. And more often than not, what that means is we'll look for someone who has a controlling nature. The, the less confidence we have, the lower self-esteem, it always equals the picking of incredibly improper partners. So we want to look at this and say, hey, if you look at a track record, and I'll give you an example. Um, I worked with a woman out of Australia. She was in her 50s. And she, the only reason she contacted me wasn't because of sexual abuse or sexual assault or incest or anything like that at first. The only reason she contacted me was because she had selected from high school on only men who were verbally and or physically abusive. So she had a pattern, and she couldn't figure out why she was attracted to the bad boys. Why was she attracted to people that had no interest in her interest of health, emotional health, physical health? And when we did the work and we started going back and we found that she was one that had been assaulted as a young girl. And so she was picking people that treated her similarly to the way that she was treated when she was molested as a young child. Now, 
this doesn't logically make sense. And Carol, I'm speaking to the choir as I say this to you, but it doesn't logically make sense. So for our listeners, you would think, well, if you had a bad experience in childhood, you would go and pick the opposite type of a partner. Logically speaking, you would pick someone who would treat you with respect. But in the world of sexual abuse and assault and incest, that logic doesn't hold a candle. All we do is we know that men did this to me or women did this to me, and I'm going to choose people that are, quote, unquote, known to me, that their energy is known to me. Oh, yeah, that reminds me of what I ha- happened in childhood. We may not be able to correlate it that what we're saying is, this reminds me of someone who molested me or looked at me with leering eyes or continued to comment on my beautiful hair when I was six years of age and I could see they wanted something more than that. We can't logically put the dots together. But as adults working with counselors, you can go back and look for what we call patterns. And patterns are inescapable. When you look at a pattern of choosing men that are abusive, emotionally, physically, sexually, or you have a pattern of picking women that are liars or cheats or whatever, that pattern is a doorway to healing if we're willing to do the work. It is not easy by any means, but it is surely worth the effort. Well, you know, I, I absolutely agree with you. Now, there is one exception to the rule, and I'll tell you what it is. Sure. Um, because we know, as, as marital therapists, many of us know that we end up marrying our mother and our father to work out our issues. And so, you know, if you had an abusive father, you may end up marrying an abusive man to work that out. And as an adult to learn to use your voice and to have boundaries and to leave if you need to, that kind of thing. But with addiction, it's an interesting field. We tell our partners, you did not in any way attract this kind of person into your life. As a matter of fact, you thought you were getting a nice guy. You thought you could trust him. You thought he was your knight in shining armor. You thought that he had good family values, but because of his addiction, an addiction that robbed him of his own integrity, you ended up being duped, and you cannot feel responsible for that. So it's just a little bit different. I know that I've always felt like in abuse situations, you know, that it can oftentimes be attracted, but in addiction, with sex addiction, we're finding that it isn't. We're doing this research and and finding out that there's no correlation because they absolutely didn't know what they didn't know until discovery. So for our listening audience, if you're wondering how did I how did I attract this guy who who ended up being a sex addict and what's going on? If you were abused, abuse sexual abuse happens to one out of every three females, and that's reported, so we know it's higher and one out of every 10 males. And again, that's only reported cases. So I always tell women, you know, we got 12 women in this room and four of you have been abused. Statistically, that's what we know to be true. Do you find the same stats, David? Oh, well, you know, the the statistics can't lie. And what you said that's really important is that's reported. Um, which is always under what reality is. It's just like they came out with a report recently saying that 18% of Americans are smoke on a daily basis when 10 years ago it was 25. Um, But those numbers are skewed because, you know, when, when people answer surveys of, you know, are you a heavy smoker, light smoker, non smoker? Well, most people are going to say light smoker. Uh, most people aren't going to be honest. And, and so in this case, it's the same thing. I, I think those statistics are quite low in, in our experience. I believe they're quite low. Uh, but people don't want to report some of these events. And something else that we mentioned a few minutes ago, Carol, is that a lot of people do not remember. You know, the, the brain has this unbelievable ability to compartmentalize trauma. And so there are many people walking around today continuing to select individuals that will abuse them, manipulate them, use them, and not have a clue that this could be related to something that happened to them in childhood. 
The other thing we have to remember in the world of any addiction, including sex addiction, is that the perpetrators are outrageously skilled at manipulation. They're outrageously skilled at getting their needs met. And I say to all addicts, including the sex addicts we work with, when we can take this incredibly powerful energy that has been created as a sex addict and put that, or an alcoholic or an opiate addict, and we take those skills of manipulation and lying and the energy that people put into their addictions into good healing stuff, that person who was a perpetrator and a horrendous boyfriend, husband, wife, girlfriend for years can actually turn their life around if they're willing to do the work. Oh, I 100% agree with you. As a matter of fact, I go so far as to say addicts who get into recovery and maintain healthy lifestyle and skills are 95% healthier than the average American male out there because they've gotten the resources and I don't mean that negatively. They just really are. If they are maintain recovery, it's amazing yeah. who they can be and what they can do. I love it, Carol. No, I was laughing because it's so dead on. You know, we, we have people that, you know, and, and this is one of my concerns with 12-step programs, quite frankly, Sex Love Addicts Anonymous, Sex Addicts Anonymous. I, 12-step programs I, I have very little patience for these days. When, when you are walking into a SLAA or an SAA meeting and you're sitting down and you're saying, hi, I'm David, I'm a sex addict, if you're not actively engaged as a sex addict, you're lying to yourself, you're lying to the room, it is not true. Now, if you are still engaged in your sexual addiction, then yes, state it. But if you want to heal and you are not acting out and you are processing emotion, and then you go into one of these darn meetings, Carol, and you raise your hand and say, hi, I'm David, I'm a sex addict, when you aren't acting out, that's horrendous. And we wonder why people struggle in the world of addiction with their self-confidence and self-esteem. Well, let's say that you haven't acted out in your addiction. Let's say that it's been five years or 10 years or 20 years, and you're going into a meeting, and you're saying that I'm a sex addict. Well, you are just putting yourself way back in time. Not too long ago, one of my sex addiction clients came in, and he has been doing incredibly well. I mean, this guy has turned it around in about a year and a half. He, he's off the charts healing at this remarkable pace. And he was going to meetings seven days a week, and I'm hearing him come in and tell me what they're saying in the meetings, and it's so archaic that I said to him, listen, I'll support you going to the meetings, but, but not this regularly. This is, you know, everything that you and I are doing that's based on what we know in 2019 is being destroyed by you walking into a program that was created 80 years ago and never updated. And he got it. But he came in the next week and he said, you know, there's a, a minister who's now leading the meetings. And I said, well, good. I hope he's a good minister and I hope he's giving you great information. He goes, well, I'm a little concerned. Because he stands up every week and he says, I am Reverend so-and-so. I am a sex addict. I always will be a sex addict. I cannot heal my sex addiction. And I am here because I have an addiction. And, Carol, that's the type of information that keeps us in the dark. In my opinion, lots of people can disagree with me, and it's fine. That's the type of information someone sitting in a room hearing that this leader is telling them that once you're an addict, you're always an addict, and he's admitting that he's an addict, and he's admitting he'll never heal. To me, it's disgusting. It really is. There's too many people that you know, that I know, that have completely healed sexual addictions. For us in 2019 to be saying you're an addict for the rest of your life, it just really disturbs me. And if I was in that room and I heard that, I wouldn't go back. I'd say, well, what's the sense of me doing this work if I'm going to be an addict for the rest of my life? So we have to be very careful of what we're buying into. Well, and you bring up a very, very good point. And um, like you said, there may be people that argue with you, but that you give, I think, some extra hope, strength, and recovery to addicts who really are doing good work, and, and you're worried about that identification of, you're an addict when in reality 
there in that 95% of, you know, I said, hey, you're healthier than 95% of people out there. Now, let's, let's talk about a couple of other things, more symptoms and manifestations. You know, you said that post-traumatic stress disorder, PTSD, is oftentimes a symptom of abuse. Tell our listening audience, what do you consider to be PTSD? Yeah, this is where an individual is under a constant daily anxiety attack or um, you know, when, when I say a constant daily anxiety attack, let's say we, anxiety runs on a scale of 1 to 10. PTSD can be a, a 4 out of 10. There's just this underlying unsettledness. Uh, I, I have had clients in the past, sexual abuse clients, that have woken up in the morning without any idea at all what the day was going to go like, but they had a pit in their stomach. And, and they were coming in saying, you know, this has been going on for 20 years. I wake up every day first thing in the morning and I feel the anxiety. That's an example of PTSD. Um, some, with some people, they can't go into crowds or they can't go into stores that are overstimulating or cities that are overstimulating. For some people, a loud noise, a firecracker, the slamming of a door can set them off. And, and so PTSD, post-traumatic stress disorder, is something that almost all sex abuse survivors, assault survivors, incest survivors will start to recognize, especially once they start to do the work that you do, the work that I do, and other really good counselors around the country, they'll all of a sudden, Carol, start to recognize that there's always this underlying fear or anxiousness or even an underlying depression that they can't quite get their head wrapped around. That's what it feels like have PTSD. Well, that makes a lot of sense. And, you know, we know the trauma victims more oftentimes than not suffer from PTSD because PTSD is a manifestation of your brain going offline because you're in a chronic state of fear and anxiety. And so it goes into that fight, flight, or freeze mechanism that comes from the amygdala, and it takes that prefrontal cortex right off the charts. And people... (laughs) do the very best they can with what they have available to them. And so that's where isolation can occur. That's where hypervigilance can occur. That's where tremors and speechlessness and insomnia and all those symptoms that say, hey, this is worse than just generalized anxiety. This is fear of what's going to happen next. Exactly, Carol. And the other thing that that we have seen in our practice that is a parallel to PTSD is addiction. Food addiction is huge with some sexual abuse survivors and sexual assault survivors. Um, One of the reasons that we believe that food is, well, first of all, it's easily accessible, it's inexpensive, but also when you have that addiction to food going on and you're gaining weight, you are putting up that physical barrier. You are saying, I don't want that intimacy. I don't want, you know, now this isn't all because we know that there are some sexual abuse survivors that become outrageously promiscuous that could be in great shape, but that they're acting out their PTSD in a different way. For those who use food, though, it becomes not only a soother because sugar, salt, white flour, and fat go to the same pleasure center of the brain that alcohol goes into. So we know that food numbs emotions. It takes us out of the reality of stress for a very short period of time. And then it can also, as it adds weight to the body, it can add an insulation to try to protect us from that intimacy that we so fear that could turn into sexual assault or abuse again. Yeah, that's a good point, a very good point. And I always say where promiscuity is um, is discussed, more oftentimes than not, when somebody has developed promiscuity after they've been assaulted or abused, it's oftentimes them wanting to take control of a situation as opposed to letting things happen to them. And it's not a healthy functioning tool. It's maladaptive. It's all get out, but it's still the best they can do with what they know at the time. Carol, you're right on. Uh, about yeah. maybe a month ago or so, I spoke at a um, an event for sexual abuse survivors, and 
one of the women who put it on was a sexual abuse and incest survivor, and she said that she would use her body to control men. And it was her way of getting back. You know, we've worked with, oh, gosh, 50 or more strippers, uh, exotic dancers over the last 30 years, and each and every one of them said the same thing, is that they came in, they wanted to heal, but they understood why they were doing what they were doing. They understood that their purpose in life now was to take advantage of men, the same type of men that had abused them when they were young. So this cycle continues and continues and continues. The, the great news, and one of the things I'm really just so happy with your show and appreciate being on it, is that people need to hear, yes, there's trauma, yes, it's terrible, yes, it's traumatic, and yes, you can heal. You know, that is, again, another strong message, and I would absolutely agree with that. Um, And you're talking about a horror when it comes to women that have been exploited or who who traffic themselves or they're being trafficked. Let's talk about one more really tough subject, and that's spousal abuse. I know that you've seen clients that have experienced that. So, how would you define that? And when would a, a woman know, or a man, depending on who's the abuser, but when would they know that this has gone too far? Well, that's, Carol, you know, when, when I see someone come in and they, they have been abused and there's physical marks, and you know that the abuse has been going on way before it got to a physical mark on a woman's body, in most cases. I mean, of course, it could happen within the first week of dating someone, but the odds are it's going to start a little slower and ramp up. What we see is we see a parallel many times with women who stay in those environments as a replication of what she saw growing up between her own mom and dad or stepdad and mom or dad and step, uh, stepmom. Uh, there is more often than not a correlation with that was what they witnessed. They saw their mom and dad fighting, arguing, abusing each other, or an aunt and an uncle doing it, a grandmother, a grandfather. And you have to remember, when we're young, the subconscious mind takes in the environment that we're raised in, the family structure that we're raised in, and it processes it as normal. Many times it processes it as normal because it has nothing to compare it to. So when you are raised in an environment where dad comes home from work and screams at mom because the dinner's late or it's cold or it's whatever, we have people saying that that's just what they thought was normal. So when they look at that as their normal and they go into the world of dating and all of a sudden they've got someone coming home and telling them the floor needs to be mopped again, there's a lot of, and we're making this very stereotypical with women being the victims and men being the controllers. It obviously happens the other way too. But that can make them feel, quote, unquote, at home. Now, this isn't logical. So don't, don't get the conscious mind and the subconscious mind confused as I'm going through this example. The conscious mind knows that this is crazy. The subconscious mind says, hey, listen, hang in there. This is what dad did to mom. This is what a marriage is. This is what a relationship looks like. And so many women will return, not just because of low self-confidence and low self-esteem, but they'll return because this was the normal they grew up with. As abnormal as it might be to a large portion of the world, it's not abnormal to them. And so that can easily encourage them to keep returning to someone who is an abuser. Yeah, that absolutely makes sense. And it's it's like it's predictable, it's familiar, and it's their own paradigm that they grew up with. So, of course, they believe that. Now, David, how can people get a hold of you if they want to work with you personally? Because you're a coach, and I know that you probably can work with people via Zoom or phone coaching. What, 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 do you, what services do you offer? Yeah, Carol, we do everything. You know, we work both in the world of counseling and coaching. And in 1990, we created a hybrid program where we combined the best of the therapeutic world which is where I began, and, and I began in this really bizarre space of, of sports psychology, never knowing 
that that was going to be a five-year experience, and then I was going to transfer over to the type of work we're talking about right now. But we we made this hybrid program of half therapy, counseling, half coaching. The coaching part is the written part, the assignments, the homework, the going deep in the written world, not just the, the, the speaking world. People can go to our website, talkdavid.com, T-A-L-K-David.com. You can read about our sexual abuse course. We have a course that we take people through with it. Um, We have a daily video program for free. It's called David Essel's Daily Video Boost, Carol. People can sign up. It's a subscription. It doesn't cost you anything. And every day you're going to get a a motivational three-minute video from us in your email box that is highly relevant to any addiction that someone might be going through, including sexual assault, et cetera. And then then there's all of our books there that will have stories about people that we've worked with over the past 30 years. And again, we do all of this work and so much that we offer for free because we really do believe that there's plenty of people out there that can benefit, that can radically change their life, you know, for your listeners' benefit. I know you, you know this already, Carol, but I was a a raging alcoholic and cocaine addict for 30 years. I'm standing here as proof positive that you can heal 100% from any addiction. And all of this is at our website, talkdavid.com. We want people to feel that there is hope. Yes, you have to work. Yes, you have to commit to your own personal growth. But you can shatter all the PTSD you might be experiencing right now, the addictions, the poor choices, you can shatter all of this and create a life that is absolutely remarkable. Oh, I love hearing that. So one more time, it's www. Say that again. Talk. Talk David. Yeah, www.talkdavid, T-A-L-K-David.com. And that's where you'll see all of our courses up there and the free videos and our books. You know, for, and something else that just triggered, Carol, we also have a 45-minute free meditation audio. People that struggle with any addictions whatsoever, any amount of low self-esteem and confidence or PTSD, you will benefit immensely by using a meditation audio on a daily basis. And we have one for free at talkdavid.com as well. Wow, what a plethora of services. I encourage everybody to go to your website. Get those free three-minute hope, strength, and recovery kind of videos and do the mindfulness course. And then, of course, look at his other online courses. This is a Dynamo coach, and um, it sounds like, David, you've worked really hard to be able to provide a variety of services. I want to have you on the show again, so keep me posted as to what you're doing. (laughs) <laughs> Carol, you know, TJ, my publicist, loves you. I love being with you. So you know we're going to keep you posted, and I can't wait to come back with you. Well, thanks, David. Hey, guess what? I just had a new book published, um, for, and it's on Amazon, and it's called Help Her Heal. And it is a book, uh, and it's an empathy workbook for sex addicts to help their wives heal. So if you see it around, you know who wrote it. Oh, my God. Hey, congratulations. I know. Don't you love it? Isn't it fun? <laughs> That's so awesome. You know, I want to get a copy of it. <laughs> well, there you go. You know where to go. Go to Amazon. I'm and gonna. Then next, time I'm in, 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 next time I'm in Florida, I'll come and autograph it. <laughs> I just Please got back, do. as a matter of fact. Yeah, we're both oh, Floridians, aren't we? Kind of, sort of. Okay, you where, take where care, too. Been? Have a have a great one. Tell PJ I said hello. Okay, bye. <laughs> bye. Bye. That was David Essel, life coach for over 30 years. Obviously, he's been through a lot himself, and he has turned his life around, and he's making a world of difference in the lives of others. And I got to go. The show's over. But you know what I say. I know you can repeat it. <laughs> I know you can repeat it. You've been listening to it for five years. There will only be one of you at all times. I fearlessly want you to have the courage to be yourself. You know I don't promote myself much, but hey, check out my book, would you? Help, period, her, period, heal. And I will see you next week for more Sex Health with Carol the Coach. Make it a good one.
Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.